find hope in hopeless situations. This is episode 41 of the Bryce Harper podcast. Thank you for tuning in. A good start envisions the end result. This is Bryce Harper. I have the tremendous honor, me and my wife and our family, of being the lead pastors of Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I'm pulling from some of my sermon notes that I began here at our church during this Christmas season. As you're listening to this, maybe it's some time after, but this is notes from my first sermon on a series entitled Hope for Hope of Christmas, month of December in 2022. And no matter when you're listening to this, I believe it is a word that can tremendously bless you and encourage you to have hope in hopeless situations. We need hope now more than ever, not just in December of 2022, but I believe in 2025, 2030, 2050, and so on, we will always need a transcendent level of hope in our lives. In Malachi, before we get into the New Testament, there is a span of 400 years, an intertestamental period, as scholars call it, between the final word scribed and spoken by the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament and before the writings of the Gospels in the New Testament. And many times we can interpret this on a surface level of God not doing anything, God not speaking. In a lot of ways, that is very true. In a lot of ways throughout history, that is seen as a time where God was silent for 400 years. Up until this point, God was speaking. He was putting things into motion, into place. God's people were doing things. There were prophets and prophecies and judges and kings and nations and different things going on. And even during this period of time, there was a lot of things going on. And in the midst of silence, I hope from the jump, you can be encouraged that even in the midst of silence, God is moving, God is working. And I believe without going into a lot of emotional, spiritual detail that you understand that in silence, God is not absent, but that he is preparing. And I believe during this 400 year period between the Old Testament and New Testament that God was not silent. God was not at a position of not knowing what to do next. It was really God knew exactly what he was going to do next. And it was going to be the greatest thing the world had ever seen. He was releasing his son, his greatest word and message and covenant and promise for all of eternity, for all the cosmos to be released into, into the earth. And in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with, with a curse. And in 1958, renowned mathematics and astronomy professor Peter Stoner studied and calculated the chances of the fulfillment of messianic prophecies. He concluded that the probability of even eight of those 108 prophecies that were fulfilled, but even if just eight of those 108 came to pass conservatively, that would be, the odds would be one in 100 quadrillion. And that is just eight 
out of the 108. So this makes Christmas the most significant miracle in history, and if not in all the cosmos. Luke chapter 1 verse 5, as we transition from that intertestamental period, starts here. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. See, Herod was deputy for the Roman Empire and newly appointed king of Judea. Israel was under Roman rulership. There's a current king, but en route is the king of kings. It's It's easy to be discouraged by other influences, kings that are ungodly, but there is a king that is on his way and he cannot be stopped. Our king, Jesus, looks nothing like other kings. This is how we find hope in what seems like hopeless situations. Psalm 145, for your kingdom, God, is an everlasting kingdom you rule throughout all generations. Zechariah and Elizabeth is also seen here and quoted by Scripture to be godly people from godly heritage. And the Bible says in verse 6, they're righteous in God's eyes and careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very Old And during this culture, during this time period, it was communicating um, to, it was something that was seen as a curse. If you were a woman, you couldn't have a child. It was seen as God cursing you. Like I was putting a curse on you. Um, Not only was Elizabeth unable to conceive, but now she's old. And there's two threats to faithfulness as we're thinking about this idea of finding hope in hopeless situations, there's two threats to all of this and really two threats to being faithful. Um, and really when I look at Elizabeth, I see someone who is devoted and doing right and righteous. They were righteous in God's eyes and careful to obey all of God's commands and regulations. They were faithful that, that, that they were devoted despite disappointment. And, and, and who, what do you call someone who's devoted despite disappointment? We call them faithful. Call Whatever you're facing in your life and you are dealing with a significant amount of disappointment, yet you're still devoted, I would say that you are a faithful individual. But two threats of faithfulness. Number one, living with a void, right? This idea of I've always been like this, right? Elizabeth was unable to conceive. It's all this is how it's always been. A lot of times we we talk like that and different things that are in our lives that are unmet. And then secondly, living with less time, right? The, my best days are behind me. I am past my prime. Verse 8, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. What do you do in the midst of deep voids, unmet expectations, and unanswered prayers? You do two things. You stay faithful and you stay productive. It doesn't mean you shun and you try to hide away the things that you are deeply dealing with. But there is something significant that we can all gain from something like this, and that is to be faithful and be productive. Look, I'm all about taking mental health days. I'm all about taking time to take care of yourself. I encourage that tremendously, but I think it is absolutely pivotal to stay faithful and to stay productive, even in in times of deep voids and unmet expectations and unanswered prayers. And as 
Zacharias stayed faithful. He was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. The third thing I would say is surround yourself with people who pray. Surround yourself with um, people who are seeking God. Like here at Family Worship Center, we encourage our people to join a life group. We have a very vibrant, anointed prayer team. They pray before our services on Sunday, 30 minutes before, and it is powerful. We have a first Wednesday corporate prayer meeting every single month, and it is powerful. And all we do is get together and pray. There's nothing theatrical. There's nothing prominent as far as production concerns in these kind of settings where we call a prayer service or a prayer meeting, but it is always tremendously powerful. There's something to, there's something to be said about being faithful, being productive, and surrounding yourself with people who pray. And that's what I garner from looking at these verses in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Stay faithful, stay productive, surround yourself with people of prayer. And twice a year, I encourage my church to take 21 days to pray and fast. I really do believe we are in a time in our history, in our nation, and will always be like this. We will always need to be people of prayer. There should never come a time where we where we think we don't need to be praying or we shouldn't be praying. So I encourage my church twice a year to take 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I encourage to do two things during during fasting, right? To to fast food, that's not doesn't mean just eat fast food, right? I could do that all the time, you know, Chick-fil-A, Popeyes, whatever. But to focus on spiritual food. We cater to our flesh, and it's important during these times of prayer and fasting that we feed our spirit, that we focus on spiritual food, um, that we don't cater to our flesh, we cater to our spirit. And then secondly, fast media. And I don't expect expect anyone to be uninformed or choose to be uninformed, but I do expect during this time that we be more informed with God's news rather than the world's news. God's report rather than the world's report, you know, we are called to be those who deliver the gospel, and the gospel means good news. So if we're not seeing good news around us, it's because we are not speaking and we are not intaking that good news for ourselves and then redistributing it in the influences that God's given us. And then during, you know, well, when it comes to prayer, I don't really know what to pray. I'm uninformed on the concept of prayer. And after a few minutes of just praying, I don't really know what else to do. And and I have encouraged my church, as I've received from the Lord, to focus, pray for focus. And in praying for focus, how do you do that? Well, I mean, I think you just kind of ask these five questions. Why? Why focus on prayer? Why pray? Um, where should I pray? What should I pray? When should I pray? And how should I pray? Well, why? Second Chronicles chapter 7, because those who humble themselves and pray, we know the passage, right? I will heal your land. Our land needs healing. Our world needs healing. Well, humble yourself and pray. Where? Well, Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Wherever you go to church, um, in your own home, maybe in your office, your home office or your work office, make that a place of prayer. Show up early, stay a little bit later, um, and make that a place of prayer. Um, what should I be praying? Um, I love what Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. 
So what should I be praying about? We pray about everything, everything that we do. It doesn't mean we have to pray about what toothpaste to use, but maybe we spend a little bit more time praying about purchases we make or relationships or things that we do um, and things that we interact and we engage in that we really do seek the will of our Father in all and everything, as Paul lets us know. And then when should we pray? Well, Ephesians, Paul lets us know in Ephesians 6.18, pray without ceasing. I don't know how you do that. Um, but I think it, in, it, it should encourage us and challenge us to have an open line with God at all times. And then how Matthew 6, Jesus said it pretty, pretty well. We should probably use it as our, as our template, you know, our Father who art in heaven. I don't know why when it comes to this, I quote King James, right? <laughs> our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Probably because it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, why pray? Where should I pray? What should I be praying? When should I be praying? How I should be praying? And I believe that brings you to a place of tremendous focus. Okay, I got five questions I just answered as it pertains to prayer. And I don't think prayer should be a thing that we are suggesting people to do or suggesting our families to do. I believe prayer is something that we have to command our people to do. Verse 11 in Luke chapter 1, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense of altar. And at this place in the temple, they would proclaim the names of God. So again, three keys, and he has this holy encounter, right? He has this heavenly encounter. And I believe there are three keys to heaven's intervention, right? Being productive, being prayerful, and then proclaiming proclaiming who God is, not just what we want him to do or what we would like to see happen, just proclaiming who he is and being faithful in this natural realm propels us to have encounters in the supernatural realm. And we're living with a generation coming up in Gen Z that desperately wants spiritual encounters. And whether that may be something in the dark realm or dark world or something that's not um, from God, maybe it's something on the evil side uh, of the spectrum, but that desire in us to have this transcendent supernatural encounter, I believe, is from the Lord. So we can't just say to a generation, hey, don't worry, uh, don't pursue these spiritual things. They say, no, I have, we, we have something available in God that suffices that desire to have a supernatural transcendent experience. Verse 13 or verse 12, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. And we see this a lot in scripture. The angel said, don't be afraid. God's heard your prayer. Elizabeth is going to give you a son. You're name him John. So three results of supernatural experiences or supernatural interventions. It's not just to scare us. It's not just to make the hair on the back of our neck stand up. It's not just to wow us. It's, it's not just to thrill us or entertain us. But these are the three results of supernatural intervention or supernatural experiences. And it's number one, God certifies our safety. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Secondly, God solidifies uncertainty. So number one, God certifies our safety. God solidifies uncertainty. God has heard your prayer. You have been living with this void. You've been living with unmet expectation. You've been living with 
unanswered prayer. And God said, I have heard your prayer. And then thirdly, most importantly, God verifies identity. Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. When God answers the prayer of our hearts, we have to understand that God has the authority to verify that identity. And this is just awesome. And there's four precursors to God with us, right? I'm going to give these to you. Number one, identification from heaven. We see that here. Secondly, there's an infilling of his spirit. John and Elizabeth's womb was going to be filled with the spirit before he was even going to be born. All of this is in preparation for the coming Messiah, Jesus, that we'll we'll see in the next episode um, of this podcast. And then fourthly, unification of families. There are four precursors of God with us, of Emmanuel God with us. And man, more than ever, I hope you are encouraged during this time whether you're listening to this in December of 2022 or whenever you're listening to this, to find hope in hopeless situations that God is wanting to give you identity. He's wanting to fill you with his spirit and it's all in preparation for Jesus. And, and there is going to be a unification of families in the earth. We know that from scripture. And I see this so profoundly to be just something that's accurate in our culture and the times that we're living in because the world is not producing the hope that we need because people are identifying. Instead of having identifying us, people are just identifying themselves, right? We see it all over. In in a world that is anti-God and anti-Christ, there is... There is a world that's wanting to identify themselves, right? I, whether it be gender, whether it be any other kind of concept, the world is trying to find its hope and identifying itself, and it's not working. I mean, you can say what you want to say, but the truth is it's just not working. And I like to read and take in and, and listen and see what's going on. I'm just not very impressed. I'm not drawn to that. What I see in God and what I see amongst God's people, people who really love God and truly live for God, um, is that they find hope in, in heaven identifying them. And the world is trying to identify themselves. It's not working. They're, they're filling themselves with their own flesh. It's not working. They're preparing for anything that, that is anything but God. And, and families are fragmented more than ever. Um, But the church finds its hope in being identified by heaven, filled with the Spirit, preparing for Jesus and families being united. And Elizabeth becomes pregnant and she goes into seclusion for five months. She says, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace and having no children. So here she is. She's been living with this voice. She's been living in a culture that despises and looks down upon women who can't bear children. They're living with under a curse from God, so to say, is what they believed um, during this kind of context, during this culture and time that we see in Scripture. And women like Elizabeth in the Bible are types and shadows of the church. Elizabeth's hope 
she goes into seclusion, right? She, she could have said, hey, look, I'm pregnant. I'm showing. I'm not cursed. I'm blessed, right? She could have, all the girls that were throwing shade, all the women that were throwing shade at her, she could have came back and said, uh-uh, God ain't forgot about me. You know, she could have came out and got sassy with it. You know, I mean, I, there's all kind of different ways you can see this to be kind of played out. But Elizabeth goes, the scripture tells us Elizabeth goes in seclusion for five months. See, Elizabeth's hope was not found in others seeing the blessing of God in her life. Elizabeth's hope was hidden in God blessing her life with life. Elizabeth's hope, Elizabeth's hope was hidden in God giving her life, life that would prepare the way of the life of Jesus. Elizabeth's hope was hidden in the shadow of God. It was in the shadow of even someone else's life, Mary who would soon step onto the scene carrying the Messiah. And and Elizabeth's hope was hidden inside of her by heaven's intervention. And again, women in the Bible, especially Elizabeth in this situation, are type and imagery of the church, of us as a church, right? And, And us as a church, we cannot find our blessing and hope in ways that just only other churches can see. Like God doesn't bless us as a church and as the people of God just to prove to other people of God that we're blessed, God blesses the church so that we can be forerunners for for Jesus. God doesn't bless us and bring production into our life and expansion in our life just so we can impress other churches. God blesses us with this promise, with answered prayer, with filling voids, and meeting deep desires in our heart so that we would hide ourselves in God. And we'd find our kind, we, would, we would find that God is kind and we would find our joy. We would find that, that God has graced us to be able to be producers of another generation that would be forerunners for the coming Messiah. Man, I hope this has encouraged you. To know that even for someone like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're faithful. They did right in the eyes of the Lord. They're righteous. They obeyed God's commandments and his regulations. Even in an old age, they stayed faithful to God and God's house and serving. Yet, in the midst of all that, they lived with deep voids and unmet expectations and unanswered prayer. They stayed faithful. They stayed productive. They stayed proclaiming the names of God. They stayed around people of prayer. And in all of this, they had an encounter, a heavenly encounter. This heavenly encounter brought safety, brought um, certainty, brought identity. And I pray that is the same case for you during any kind of situation that seems hopeless. That you would implement some of these principles and watch the watch the hand of God, watch the intervention intervention of heaven take place. And thank you for tuning in. I hope this has been a blessing and encouragement to you. And don't ever forget a good start envisions the end result.